that uh, form of uh, art would have been would have been lost. It would have been gone. So I've kept it alive all these years, and I've taught many, many people that type of that style of weaving and that type of weaving, and, and so it's uh, <laughs> so it's very much alive today. <laughs> First People's Fund presents the Collective Spirit Podcast. The Collective Spirit moves each of us to stand up and make a difference, to pass on ancestral knowledge, and simply extend a hand of generosity. The Collective Spirit Podcast features Native artists and culture bearers who discuss the power of Indigenous art and culture. I'm a Suquamish tribal elder. I live on the Suquamish reservation. I've been weaving the Suquamish-style clam-gathering baskets most of my life. I learned from my great-grandma, Julia Jacob, who raised me wove these tribal clam-gathering baskets for the tribal people, and so I picked that up, and I've been weaving those for many, many years. <laughs> One thing about basket weaving, it's, it's a tradition that really teaches a person how my ancestors lived thousands of years ago, because they have different type different styles of baskets and when you think about well why did they make that basket once you find out why they made it then it teaches you a lot about their way of life of course i started with the clam basket the cedar root and cedar limb clam basket i call it the I call it the lemon root basket. I gather cedar limbs and, and I gather some cedar root, put all those up into the into the parts and weave the basket. And I wanted to branch out and weave more baskets. So I started with the backpack burden basket from the coast, from the coastal tribes along Washington and the coastal tribes along Vancouver Island there and up into Canada. That was a challenge to weave those large backpack burden baskets, but they were woven out of the spruce root, so I had to go to the coast and learn how to gather spruce root. I was really surprised how strong and how flexible and how long spruce roots were that I pulled out of the sand. They grow in the, in the sandy area along the beaches of Washington State there and up into Vancouver Island along the, along the Pacific Ocean beaches there. And then once I learned that from, well, those people that, taught me on my ancestors now. They have passed away. Recently, I got into weaving the, the salmon trap basket and the shrimp trap basket. And 
Now, this morning, I'm just working on an eel trap basket. So, it's, it's getting, I'm challenging myself to, to weave these styles of baskets that, that I never, ever thought I would, I would weave. And so, it's just, it's been to weave the basket so it's like museum quality and it, and everything is nice and even and, to the form and it's quite a challenge but but I like I like challenges that well all my life my life is well, my whole life has been a challenge. <laughs> so I'm used to challenges and so the basket weaving has really really been a great part of my life. Mainly I do it to keep the keep the art alive well especially the clam basket if I hadn't if I hadn't woven one when I was 14 after learning it from my great grandma Julia I think it would have been gone nobody else made them and Julia was the last one that made them and so that uh, form of uh, art would have been would have been lost it would have been gone so I've kept it alive all these years, and I've taught many, many people that type of, that style of weaving and that type of weaving, and, and so it's, uh, <laughs> so it's very much alive today. <laughs> we have some good weavers in our tribe, and uh, they're doing really well at all, oh, like they're, they're weaving with cedar bark, and they're weaving some really, really nice cedar bark baskets. And I've been trying to get them to to weave with cedar limb and cedar root, but they tell me it's too it's too tough on their hands. They don't have they don't seem to have the strength to <laughs> to split and make the parts. To, Everybody says, oh, you make it look so easy. And then they try to do it, and it doesn't. It just goes off to the side, and they get a, end up with a bunch of short pieces. <laughs> I said, well, it, you got to practice and practice on it. I said, after I split about 500 limbs in half, why then I finally learned how to do it. With it. I don't even have to look at it. I just split it and... and it goes right in town. The shrimp trap baskets and the salmon trap baskets got pretty popular all of a sudden. I was I was challenged by a museum down on the Columbia River. I was challenged to make a salmon trap basket. And all I had was a a picture of one in the Hillary Stewart fishing book. I'll use the same fibers. I'll use the cedar root and the cedar limb for all the parts, all the warps and all the widths of the basket. And instead of being a, a hand carry basket, it's a, it's a long, round basket. I just like the basket because it's, it's seven feet long and it's about 10 inches in diameter, and it tapers down to a narrow end at the, at the small end. 
so that when the salmon swims into it, he gets his head stuck up on the small end of it, and more salmon swim into it. They just get stuck in there, and pretty soon you got a whole basket full of salmon. Then the, the shrimp trap basket, I, I challenged myself to make one of those from a picture in the, in the, in the fishing book there. And, and it turned up pretty nice. It, it actually worked. Uh, my apprentice, he, he made one and, and he set it in there. Our shrimp were about 300 feet deep here. And so he set it down in there and my, he was cut a whole bunch of big shrimp in it. So, so we know that it worked well. And it's a, a Salish Sea style shrimp trap basket that our people made inside of Puget Sound for catching the big spotted shrimps that are out there. And then I was visiting a friend that has a fantastic collection of baskets, and he had a eel catching basket hanging on the wall up there. So we brought it down and took a good look at that. That was made up in Upper Maine by the Indians up there like about 200 years ago. So I took some pictures of it and now I'm making one of those and that's been a real challenge. And I really like it. It's really, it's almost like a cross between a salmon trap basket and a shrimp trap basket, kind of in between, in between the two of them. <laughs> so I've been having fun working on that. Because of the changes and the way the land is being cleared off and houses are being built and places that I never dreamed there would ever be any houses and now I go there and there's great big excavators pulling out cedar stumps and digging up the land and everything and so I've been having pretty good luck and I stop by in the evening when they're all gone and I go out there and I and cedar roots are laying all over the ground that I can just pick up and gather Cedar trees are down on the ground where I can just pick and choose the cedar limbs that I want off of. And people are calling me like a lady from Bainbridge Island. I just pruned a whole bunch of cedar trees in my yard and do you want the limbs? I say, yeah, bring them over. So she brings me a big old close <laughs> cedar limbs over. So I've been using those in this eel trap basket. This eel trap basket is 100% cedar limb. It's all, it's all cedar limb there. So things like that have happened, so I sure haven't had any problem collecting these. I got it made as far as cedar bark goes because I will not peel a standing tree because once you peel a pieces that cedar bark off of that tree. Our ancestors did. They call them culturally modified trees because they went around the tree and peeled cedar bark for many, many years off that tree. And then the tree is 
The tree still lives, but it's injured where you remove the bark, a strip of bark off of it. So I can't do that. So, so I've got a friend in town that saws lumber with a portable sawmill, and then he puts them on his mill and saws them into lumber, and, and that way I can get all the cedar bark that I need without having to go out in the forest and try to select a tree and injure that tree for the rest of its life. <laughs> yeah, that's how I try to do collect my fibers that way. I wish more people would do that because it hurts me to see some of these Indian people going out there. And But then what the tribes tries to do is when an area is going to be logged, then they'll let us tribal members know. And then we can go out there and peel cedar bark off of the living tree and get all the cedar bark we need. So that program's been working well and working good for the, for the people who are all making cedar bark hat, cedar bark clothing, cedar bark basket, any place that you might use cedar bark when you're when you're weaving. My weaving, I do a lot of it to to honor my ancestors, those basket weavers that made those beautiful baskets thousands of years ago. I'm into uh, the clam basket makings, the backpack burden mace basket with the thump line around the foreheads, the basket carried on the back. The hard-coiled cooking basket, that's all cedar root that they they cooked in these baskets by hanging hot rocks in them and boiling food in them out here at the Pacific Northwest here. The soft basket, sweet grass, cedar bark, soft basket, in-house use. Uh, the whale baling, uh, the baling plates that are inside on the, on the whale jaw, the jaw of the whale. Beautiful baling baskets were made up in Alaska. I made one of those. The fishing net, the Indian uh, gill and salmon gill net or the duck-catching net. Cut a lot of ducks in nets. Uh, made out of the stinging nettle fiber. I harvest the stinging nettle fiber and peel the, peel the fiber off of the stinging nettles, and then I make up the cordage to, to tie my matches and make this, this net to this gill net or this duck catching net. There's also a folded bark basket that fits the whole bark of the tree and it's cut and shaped and then it's steamed and bent into a basket that they used to make up when they wanted to 
Say they ran into a patch of blueberries up in the mountains and they wanted a bash, a quick basket. They'd peel a piece of bark off of a tree and and fold it in half and 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 kind of stow up the sides a little bit and and have a a basket to pick these berries in. I'm also a canoe carver. I carve. I carved my own dugout canoe out of a big cedar log, and I and I travel in that canoe on the tribal canoe journey. I just finished paddling from my house to Seattle last weekend, and on that uh, on our big tribal journey we had last week here <laughs> and, and I make cedar bark hats and spruce root hats and I pound cedar bark and make uh, shredded cedar bark clothing <laughs> so <laughs> I'm into uh, quite a bit more than just basket weaving. <laughs> and each, each, each piece is a special process of the, like of the cedar bark. The, if you're working with the, with the tree roots, or the tree limbs, or the, or the, or the nettle fiber. Oh, and then there's the tule and the cattails. Uh, our people made tule mat shelter houses, uh, and the tules are round. Oh, they're about. Uh, eight to ten feet long and they're round and you harvest those and then you sew them together into mats and they slept on those mats because they're a tule is uh, spongy and if you get enough mats made you could have a pretty good bed pretty good mattress to sleep on and they made these large tule uh, they sewed them together in these large tule mats, and then they covered this. They they had a shelter, a stick shelter put up, and they uh, covered it with tule mats, just like one of our big tents that we had. And and then they had a a nice place to. Uh, to be and to sit under and, and harvest and prepare food at their special locations where they where they went to harvest clams or fish or ducks or oysters or whatever and so I've been making those tooling and at our museum, at our Suquamish Museum in Mayway, they hired me and I made a a, a tule mat shelter house a sample of one out back, out in the yard, back of the museum there. So 
So that was a challenging project to split big cedar planks and logs and get the framework up and then then throw together all these tule mats to uh, to hang inside the house and and uh, actually make one of those tule mat shelter houses. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, you might say I've been been pretty busy. I worked for the federal government. First, I worked for Boeing for a while. Then I got into the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard in in our neighboring city here of Bremerton, Washington. And I served an apprenticeship and I finally became a journeyman machinist. And then I worked there and then I transferred to the Keyport Naval Torpedo Station, which was closer to home for me, so then I worked there and I finally got enough. I finally got 25 years in and they offered a, an early out, so I took it. And I finally retired as civil service the retiree and retired out of that. Port Naval Torpedo Station, working for the federal government there, uh, building torpedoes. <laughs> yeah. So I spent most of my working years as a as a machinist, and that actually helped me because I, when I split the cedar limbs especially on this eel trap basket. I want it to be about 1/64th of an inch thick. Want it to be about uh, about 15 to 20 thousandths thick. And so when I put that limb, I can just run my finger over it and I can feel whether it's too thick or too thin. <laughs> so, so being a machinist there uh, helps me uh, make my uh, make my basket part, make my warps and lifts the right thickness. And uh, I can just uh, I can just look at it and and see that it's uh, Fifteen thousandths of an inch thick, or twenty thousandths of an inch thick. <laughs> so many times I don't even have to get my micrometer out to, to measure it. I can just look at it and go, oh, yeah, well, that's the right, that's the proper thickness. <laughs> so, <laughs> one time when I was going to machinist school in Seattle. And then the instructor handed me a round piece of steel, and he said, "Put this in the, put this in the lathe, and and turn it so that it's three inches in diameter." And I had a big three-inch mic to measure it. So I put it in the lathe, and I lined it up, and I took a few little skim cuts off of it, and 
And I told him, okay, three inches in diameter. And he said, well, you didn't even measure it. And I said, well, I eyeballed it. And then he, he put the mic on it, and it was exactly three inches in diameter. And he just kind of walked away. <laughs> he couldn't believe <laughs> he couldn't believe that I bought it. <laughs> the Collective Spirit Podcast is produced by First Peoples Fund, whose mission is to honor and support Indigenous artists and culture bearers through grant-making initiatives, culturally rooted programming, and training and mentorship. Learn more at firstpeoplesfund.org.